us tonight. If you would take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. It's like we have quite a few of our number are sick again, and it seems to be going around and it's talking to somebody else today that's that's uh, getting this uh, round of cold, whatever it is, the second time. So um, <clears throat> hope, pray the rest of you stay healthy. Matthew chapter 7, I want to start at verse 13. I'm going to read down through verse 27. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was pounded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be like unto the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The title of the message tonight, By their fruits ye shall know them. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to be assembled together tonight. And I pray, Father, that we come with hearts prepared and ears open and hearts prepared to hear uh, the word of the Lord. And I pray that it would go forth in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I pray that you would work in our hearts and, and uh, give us understanding and, and um, uh, in, in knowledge into the truth that you have for us tonight that you might be glorified, and that we might be helped. And uh, we just thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many people have this idea that <clears throat> there's going to be a lot of people in heaven. Well, in some respects that's true. You know, the Bible talks about 10,000 times 10,000 and thousand thousands around the throne. But when you consider... The history of mankind and the number of people that have lived and died, according to the scriptures, it's going to be a minority of those. I remember years ago, there was a Jewish man that trimmed hooves for cow hooves. Uh, you know, farmers, if cows are penned up a lot and on concrete, their toes, their, their hooves, you know, their toes, and they don't have toes, they have hooves, their hooves grow. And they can, get, they can get rounded and they can get almost like skis. And, and so they need trimmed every so often. And this guy was trimming hooves for, for a, a family that I used to work for. And, uh, they were, and one of their sons was, was a, 
a Pentecostal, charismatic-type preacher. And anyway, he began witnessing to this man. He was Jewish, and he said, you're telling me that the majority of the people in this world are wrong? And he didn't know how to answer that. And his father-in-law asked me, how would you answer that? And I said, well, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And there you enter straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and there be few that find it. Yes, it is true, the majority of people in this world are wrong. That's what the scriptures declares. You see, the way, as we consider this tonight, there are three things, but first of all, the way to eternal life is narrow. It's narrow. You know, the straight means, of course, restricted. And, of course, these two words are, are different words, but basically they mean the same thing. Narrow means a compressed way, a contracted way. But it also, it also means, and I'll get to this in a little bit, explain this. Metaphorically, it means a way of trouble, affliction, distress. And if you read your Bible carefully, those that entered into the kingdom of God, in fact, Paul said that, that through much affliction we must enter into the kingdom of God. He wrote to one of the churches. So, so here, you know, he's describing the way here, and, and he describes it as doing the will of the Father. If you notice in verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. In John chapter 6, Jesus made it clear what the will of the Father was in John chapter 6 and verse 40, where he says, now he doesn't expound upon it here, but this is what he says, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, now the word seeth here doesn't have the idea of I see it with my eye, because do you see him with your eye? No, and he says everyone that seeth, I've never seen him with my naked eye. But So it has to do with the perception or perceiving of him or understanding, or you might say, you know, Bible terminology that's used in theology class is illumination. You know, you're given understanding, and that comes through the Holy Spirit. Everyone that seeth him, me, that, and that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. So it is the will of the Father. It is, of course, the will of the Father that everyone believes on the Son... And that everyone would be raised up at the last day. Now, we know that that's not going to happen and has not happened. Uh, and of course, we know that Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.9 that he's not willing that any should perish. So the will of the Father is that everyone that seeth, that has understanding, believeth on the Son. And, and, and it, but we see here from Matthew 7 that this plan of redemption is very restricted. It's singular, you might say. There's only one way. You know, the world accuses us, and liberals accuse us of being narrow and dogmatic. That's what the Bible is. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. There's not many ways to God. There's only one. It is the plan, so the plan of redemption is very restricted and singular. In Matthew chapter 3, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he says, in verse, chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, In saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus started preaching in Matthew chapter 4, or chapter 3 and verse 17, uh, he, or chapter 4, verse 17, I'm sorry, 
He said, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, so there, there, of course, there has to be repentance unto life. Uh, again, the word repent means a change of mind. It carries with it a change of attitude or a change of direction. You know, the attitude is, no longer is my sin uh, and my troubles somebody else's, it's mine. It's no longer God's. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people question and blame God for the wickedness in this world. You know, if, if there's a God, then why all this trouble? Because man doesn't want to take responsibility for his sin. You know, we know that James 1 tells us that he's not the author of sin. That he can't even look upon sin. That every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, there's no changing in him. He changes not. And so, you know, we, when, when a person repents, we, we, we have the attitude that, that no longer is my sin somebody else's fault or God's fault. No, I'm the guilty one. I'm the one that sinned. I'm the one that's offended God. Remember what Joseph said when the, the uh, Potiphar's wife wanted to, him to commit adultery with him, and, he, and, he, and this is what he said. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, it would have been a sin against Potiphar, too. But Joseph saw it first and foremost as a sin against God. And see, when we repent toward God, as Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, we have a change in attitude toward our sin and toward God. So, they're, they're, you know, he come on, come on the scene preaching, you must repent. Jesus and John the Baptist and, of course, Paul and Peter and all them did that, preached that. But not only is it repentance, it is trust or dependence in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, If you notice, he says in verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. You know, eternal life is through him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our eternal life is trusting or putting our dependence in him. It's in a person. It's not your faith. That saves you. That's not the gift of God. The gift of God is salvation. You know, I've had had people say this, well, I have faith. Well, that's wonderful, but faith won't save you. It's not your faith that saves you. It's God that saves you. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is a gift of God. So the gift of God is salvation. It's a gift. Faith is the avenue by which we receive it. That's all. And it's, it is putting our dependence, our trust in Him. And so it is, salvation is a gift of God. It's the mean, and for faith is the means by which we receive the gift. You know, if you are trusting in what you did and not what God said... Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. I remember, you know, when we were in Maine still, there was a man who, who was a boss of one of our men in the church. And they had a big logging company or trucking company. They hauled, uh, they hauled logs and out of the, the North Maine woods and, 
And, and, and you know, you've never seen a log operation until you go into the North Main Woods. I mean, you go to a log yard up there. You know, if you drive up 56 and go toward Lewisburg, there's a sawmill there, and they have a, they have a pile of logs, you know, maybe a couple times the size of this church. But if you go to the North Main and drive past a log yard, you will drive for miles, and there's nothing but logs piled. Because uh, that's about all there is up there is woods. But anyway, you know, he was he was the boss of one of the men at church that had a business hauling logs and chips, and 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 he he ran over his son, and he ended up in the hospital. And I went in to see him, and and and, and I again talked to him a little. And he said, "Well, it just it just increases our faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? Your know, First Peter." 1.23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and bideth forever. It's the word of God that gives us life, not our faith. Our faith is just the avenue by which we receive the gift. It's just the avenue. In John 1, verse 4, it says, in speaking of Christ, again, it refers to him as the word of God there. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, the same as when the beginning with God. Verse 4 says, in him, so that word is a person, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. First John 1 John 1.1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled of the word of life. See, he is, he is the one who is life. It's not our faith. It's him. It's him. 1 John 5, 12. He that hath the Son. It's not he that hath faith. It's he that hath the Son. Hath life. But he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Of course, John 14, 6. The Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. So, so this trust and repentance is in a person, not in our faith, but in a person. It's, our faith is simply the avenue or the means by which we receive that person or that gift. And, this, and as I mentioned, you know, this, this metaphor, this, this, this double... This is another word in the Bible that has kind of a two, twofold meaning to it. Narrow, contracted, affliction and distress. You know, often if a place is narrow and restricted, it's difficult. You know, if you're driving, driving on, a, on a mountain road that's narrow, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. Especially if there's no guardrails, you know. You have to be careful. Because... You know, it, and it can it can cause you some it'll it'll cause you some some stress, some pressure, and entering the kingdom of God is like that. You know, to, to repent means you must take a stand against yourself. Really, you you have to take a stand against yourself. Yes, you see yourself as God sees you, guilty, condemned, and justly so. And to put your trust or dependence in the Christ in, again means you have to reckon yourself void, without hope. Oh, uh, you know, you're trying, your works is all vain. Because it's a gift of God, not of works. But there's an interesting verse in chapter 11 and verse 12. You know, as we think about this plan of redemption being restricted, 
or singular or way of distress or affliction. In, in, in Matthew eleven twelve, the Bible says, From the days of John the Baptist unto now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent taketh it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is the Elias which was for to come. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. In other words, there was opposition to John the Baptist and Jesus from the very beginning of their ministries. There was violence. We know that the first time Jesus went into the synagogue at Nazareth, and he opened the book, and he read from Isaiah 61. And there's a statement there that says they, they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But you know what the response was to those gracious words? They led him to the brow of the hill with intentions to thrust him down and kill him. You see, from the very beginning of his ministry, from John, and even John the Baptist, there was great opposition against him. But he says the violent, the word, and the second word violent means nothing will keep those that are seeking to enter out. They won't be deterred. They will suffer it. And so, you know, this plan of redemption, the way to eternal life is narrow. It's, it's narrow, very narrow. Second thing we see here in this passage is, it is not saying the right words, but a change of heart. In verse 21 to 23 of chapter 7, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, notice that, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, you read that and you think about it and you, and, and you have to come to this conclusion. These many here could be members of churches. They prophesied. That means they witnessed to others about Christ. They preached to others about Christ. They cast out devils. They seemed to have seen God work miracles in their lives and others. They'd done many wonderful works. They were known for doing good works, giving to others in need. But you know, the Pharisees did all these things. The Bible says in Luke eleven forty-two, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. They tithed and gave, you know, gave mint and rue, and, 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 you know, they were, they were, and, and, and all these things. But they passed over the love of God. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other, done, other undone. Matthew 23, 15 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, ye compass land and sea to make one proselyte. In other words, they went everywhere trying to convert others to Judaism. Just like we're supposed to take the gospel into all the world and to convert to heathen. But you know, we don't convert them. Again, God has to do that. We're just the messengers. But they did these things. But we know that they had left the real purpose of God and their attitude toward God was not right. 
You know, Mother Teresa would have passed this test. She sacrificed her life for the poor people of India. Doing good works, religious works, she worshipped Mary. And thought Mary was her interceder between her and God. But you know, there was somebody else that did all these things in the Bible. And that was Judas. He went with the, he went with the twelve, preaching the gospel, casting out demons. You see, it's not about what I am doing. It's about who I am, a matter of my heart. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> it's really a matter of the heart. Romans 1, starting verse 21. I'm going to look at several verses here in the book of Romans. Romans 1, 21 says this, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. See, here's the root of their problem. It's a heart problem. Chapter 2, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. And not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. No, he says, a Jew, a real Jew is one who is inward. It's in the heart. It's not the outer. I mean, the Pharisees had all the outer down. They had a real heart problem. And then chapter 6, verse 17 Chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked, you were, the ser- you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Again, they obeyed from the heart. And then in chapter 10, verse 9, and verse 13, he says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, so again, it's the heart. The heart. You know, uh, a lady wrote a book about women's dress, and she said, and the subtitle was, The Heart of the Matter. It's a matter of the heart. And salvation is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of heart. Psalm 119.11 says this, Thy, thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Now, think about that again in light of John 1.1. 1, 1. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. That word is a person. That word is a person. It's just not some words on a page. This is a living book. It is quick and powerful. It is the person of Christ. In thy word have I hidden my heart. You see, when the person of the word of God is present in your heart, it will show itself 
in new life. It will show itself in new life. And thirdly, this change of heart will exhibit fruit. This change of heart will exhibit fruit. If you notice in uh, verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Never, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And of course, in verses 24 and 25, he talks about the man that hears the sayings of mine and doeth them. That's the man that does the will of the Father. He hears and he responds. You see, this change of heart, the Bible here is telling us, will exhibit itself in fruit. There will be a desire to obey God's law, not just the letter of the law. Not just the letter. You know, the Pharisees had the letter of the law. But it was rigid and cold and hard and unloving. You know, Jesus said you passed up love and mercy. But boy, you tithe mint and rue. Praise the Lord. Whatever. But you pass up love and mercy. It's cruel and cold and un- un- unforgiving. No. He said there will be desire to obey God's law, and not just letter. There will be a striving for obedience. And he compares the two here with sheep and wolves. Now, sheep tend to be quiet animals, peaceful. They can be led. In fact, that's the only way you can, that's the only way you can, you can't, you can't chase sheep. I mean, I tried. Family I worked for for a year had a, had a flock of sheep. And uh, I think it was April, early April, we had to shear them. I'm glad I didn't have to shear them. But anyway, uh, we had to get them in a barn uh, uh, that was really their barn, but it was really uh, up the road a little ways. The pasture went by there. But anyway, and, and so... The, the, the father of the family, he took care of the sheep. He fed them and all that. He was really their shepherd. And, and so he got, a, he got a, a bucket of grain, and he got out in front of them. And he just started calling, here, sheepy, 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 here, sheepy, sheepy, sheepy. And, you know, they, they started to follow him. Slowly they started to follow him. And he just started to walk toward that other barn. And, me and his son got a distance away. Because he said, if you get too close... They're going to bolt and run. Well, they got close to the barn, but I guess we got a little too close too soon because they bolted and ran. They didn't all go in the barn. Uh, so we had to do it all over again. You know, he had to start again, you know, and just call them. And he had to, he had to go into that barn, and they eventually, you know, if you could get the lead sheep to follow him into that barn, the rest of them would go. See, sheep have to be led. They will be led. They listen and follow their shepherd John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Follow me. And so this fruit, this, this is fruit that demonstrates the love of God. Look at John chapter 14. In John chapter 14. And verses 21 
through 24. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So he says, if we love the Lord, we will keep or we will obey his commandments. We obey his commandments. In First Thessalonians chapter 1, when Paul wrote his letter to the church at Thessalonica, he praised them because they obeyed or they followed the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, he says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know, what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. You know, and by the way, they, they received the gospel in much affliction. There was a riot there whenever they, and, and they were run out of Thessalonica, Thessalonica and had to go to Berea. And, and of course, men from Berea came to, or from Thessalonica came to Berea also. But, so there was much affliction there in receiving the gospel, but nevertheless, they received it. And then it says in verse 6, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. See, they demonstrated a love for God by obeying his word, keeping his commandments. There was fruit that demonstrated the word of God working in their life and in their heart. And you're getting, that's what Philippians 2 says, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you. You see, salvation is something that should work out of us, not just be on the exterior. It should work its way out. Just as it's natural for a child to be selfish and stubborn, because that's their heart. They're born in sin. It should be natural for a child of God to have fruit in their life. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, there are, there are different, you know, there, there are some that bring forth fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. But there should be some fruit. And, of course, people mature at different, different rates depending upon their surrender to the Lord. But there, still there's fruit. There should be fruit. But he also contrasts that with wolves. If you notice in verse 15 again, Beware of false prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Well, you don't pick apples off a peach tree. Or walnuts off a pecan tree. No. You know, you, you, again, you know them by their fruits, he says. Uh, wolves, 
contrary to sheep. And of course, the, the wolves here, he says, they have sheep's clothing. In other words, they have an appearance of sheep. Speaking of, again, of the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 28, the Bible says, Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You know, a lot of people think the Amish and Mennonites are very righteous people. Now, I'm not an authority, but I do know a little bit about them. Seeing I grew up among them, my grandparents were Amish, and I worked with them. I know firsthand a lot of what goes on amongst the Amish and Mennonites. And though they may have rigid standards of appearance, there is much hypocrisy and inconsistency. One of the guys I worked with bought a brand new carriage. He was getting married. He was planning to get married, so he bought a carriage with a top. So when you're getting married, you can buy a carriage with a top. And it had carpet in it, blue and gray, and he showed it to me. He's very proud of it. You know, it was, it was really nice inside. It even had a heater, propane heater. You know, a lot of people think, boy, they, they do a lot. They really sacrifice well, not really. I mean, they have ways to get around what they want to do, you know. But he had a heater in there, and so he, he showed me this, and it was really nice. Really nice buggy. Or carriage, if you want to call it. Anyway, well, about the end of December, he came to the barn one evening work, and he was fit to be tied. He was mad. And the preachers of the Amish church took his carriage with its colored carpets and tore out all the carpet. And I said, well, did you know before you bought it that you weren't allowed to have colors? Well, some of them have colors in theirs. I said, oh, they do, huh? Yeah. But they said if you had it before such and such a date, you could keep it. I said, well, you know what that is. I said, that's modern-day Phariseeism. It's hypocrisy. Well, they wouldn't call it that. I said, I don't care what to call it. That's what it is. He said, well, they'd say you speak pretty bold. I said, no, that's just the truth. It's hypocrisy. And there's so many things like that because it's a man-made system. There's no consistency to it. It's a full hypocrisy. And the Bible here describes these, these sheep are these wolves in sheep's clothing as ravening? Ravening. Eager for plunder or extortion. The word is often translated extortion. And the, the, to extort means it's the act or practice of wresting anything from a person by force, duress, menace, or any undue pressure. And you know, it says here they, they, they come to you in sheep's clothing. One of the things wolves like to do or do is try and fit in with their surrounding to conceal themselves. They don't want to be noticed so that they can attack. You know, there's many things we can say about wolves. Wolves also prey on sick or diseased or weaker prey. I have a book on wolves. And uh, this man tells a story about that this family had a wolf for a pet. 
and I, and I can't remember if it was their child or a neighbor child, I think it was a three-year-old child, you know, that had pet this wolf many a times and no problems. But one day they were out along the street, and she went to reach, or I'm not sure if it was she or he, I can't remember. Anyway, went to reach for the wolf and stumbled. And just that quick, that wolf attacked her. Why? Because an appearance of weakness. And just like that, that wolf instinct kicked in. See, wolves prey on those that are weaker. You see, it's not our words, it's our heart. It's what comes out of the heart. You know, Saul had an appearance of worship. He wanted to keep that appearance, even after his rebellion against the Lord and the Lord's word and against the prophet Samuel. And, and Samuel said his rebellion was his witchcraft, his stubbornness was a, as, as idolatry. And in the end, he turned to a witch. After all, he'd killed all the priests, or Doeg did. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Talking about apostates. Timothy, of course, 2 Timothy describes them as having a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. And notice verse 18. When they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. They speak great swelling words. You know, in Matthew 7 he says... They'll say, I've prophesied in thy name. I've cast out devils. I've done many wonderful works. And the Lord Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, eternal life is the life of God. It's the gift of God. And it's something we simply receive when we turn away from ourselves and turn to Him. That's what repentance is. We have to turn away from ourselves and turn to Him. And you know, when we receive Him, that turning doesn't go back. We continue therein. And the just then live by faith. We receive it by faith. You know, the turn repentance and putting our dependence to trust in Him. So it's an avenue of faith through which we receive Him. And we continue in faith. Taking Him at His word. Obeying His commandments. Trusting Him to work out His will in our life. Not trying to work out our own will. You see, it's not what a man saith, it's what are his fruits. It's not what a woman saith, what are his fruits. 
And its fruits come from the heart. The heart. So how are your fruits tonight? What are you depending on for eternal life in Christ? Our life is in Him. It's a gift of life. And it's in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the truth of thy word. We thank you for the simplicity of it. And I pray that you'd give us understanding in these truths. Not only for our, our own good and for thy glory, but, Father, that we would also be better equipped to share these truths with others around us that may be so close and yet so far away, even as the Pharisees were. They were so close and yet so far away. So, Father, give us wisdom and boldness to declare thy truth. Give us humility to accept it as it is, that we might have the life, that eternal life, the word of God abiding in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.